What are cryptocurrencies? What are NFTs? Time to buy Bitcoin. Buy and hold. Time to sell to whales. Decentralized finance, smart contract, white paper. Well, then buy it. Well, then sell it. I don't know. Blockchain is revolutionary. What started as a decentralized peer-to-peer payment system has now become a word computer, with thousands of applications disrupting almost every field. One challenge remains, making it scale to onboard the next billion users. Luckily, Ethereum has an answer to that, and this is exactly what we'll be discussing today. This month of July, ETHCC, Europe's largest Ethereum event, will take place in Paris, to which Ledger is a proud sponsor. It will feature prominent speakers and entrepreneurs dedicated to the protocol. So we thought that this would be the perfect moment to dive into Ethereum and explore its future. From Paris, this is your host, Moul Said, and you're listening to On The Ledger. Today, I'm very happy to welcome two active members of the Ethereum community. First, we have Vlad Zamfir. Vlad is a leading researcher at the Ethereum Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to supporting the Ethereum ecosystem. Vocal on crypto Twitter, he frequently discusses blockchain governance, crypto economics, and other blockchain scalability proposals. Vlad is also a prominent contributor to the development of Ethereum scalability and its transition to proof of stake. We'll be joined by Jérôme de Tichet. Jérôme is the global head of client success at Ledger. He's also a blockchain and crypto professor and the president of Ethereum France, an organization that has the aim to raise awareness, to accelerate the adoption of Ethereum and blockchain in general. Without further ado, on the Ledger, episode 5, the future of Ethereum. Here we go. Vlad, Jérôme, welcome to On the Ledger. It's a pleasure to have you both here today. How are you doing, gentlemen? Who goes first if we're not supposed to interrupt each other? <laughs> hey guys, I'm Vlad. Um, I'm going first so we don't interrupt each other. I'm great. Um, I'm, you know, chilling like a villain, working, trying to change the world. Uh, you know, you know how I roll. Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jerome, the interjector. Uh, I sometimes stop Vlad when he's talking and I'm doing great. Uh, Super glad to be here with you, folks. Super glad to uh, to get to uh, to chat uh, with Mo and uh, and also a little bit with Vlad if I if I get to interrupt him. <laughs> we'll make sure you get to do so. So let me try to set the stage for the conversation. I think we all agree that Ethereum revolutionized the blockchain space by becoming a word computer and creating the so-called application layer, giving birth to DApps, DeFi, NFTs, and numerous other innovations. However, at its current state, the protocol faces one big challenge: scalability. So here comes what we call the not-so-stupid questions. Vlad, in your opinion, how could Ethereum scale? Well, I mean, there is like a very good kind of, at this point, very classic answer, which is sharding. So sharding is this idea that like rather than like having everyone have the same state and check all the same blocks, you know, different subsets of the nodes could be concerned with different pieces of the state, different blocks, different shards, so to speak, of Ethereum. So the idea is like, oh, look, if we split Ethereum up into different shards and we don't have everyone processing every shard, then we can kind of split up work and do it in parallel. And that results in like scalability, you know, in this like deep sense. Um, You know, there are other approaches, but I'm a big scalability advocate and scalability fan. And like I focus like just on sharding. Sorry, I meant sharding. This is there. Okay, basically. So if I understand this correctly, it's like if you have a big highway and then it's like having, you know, shortcuts to this highway that enable you to uh, uh, make and get flow better. Is that correct? Um, 
I've never heard that before. Um, maybe imagine instead of having like one highway, we had like like four highways. Okay. In parallel. Okay. You know. Or, okay. If I if I may, Vlad, let me know if you like this image or not. Uh, so let's say let's let, let's say you have a a hairbrush, a round hairbrush. Um, so you have the the wooden part in the middle, and you have uh, all the all the the, the brushes that are in line. Uh, sharding is like having a, a central uh, coordinator, the, the the brush itself, the, the wooden parts, and having the the the, the air uh, uh, communicating with the central parts with each other. And every time you have a new block, uh, you extend the size of the hairbrush. So that that looks right. Um, so that's like a particular model of sharding that has this like hub and spoke or like, you know, beacon chain type of model. Yeah. Um, but not all sharding necessarily has that model, although it is kind of like, you know, the first generation of sharding solutions have this approach, basically because this is like the easy thing to do. Um, although I personally think that like we're going to see a future where we no longer have like a single, you know, hub, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, somewhat like relatively less primitive technology that like we don't really see today just yet. Um, I think we've also heard of the transition to proof of stake. Jerome, what is proof of stake and how does it compare to proof of work? All right. Hey, what is proof of stake? What is proof of work? <laughs> so uh, the, the, both of those notions are uh, from networking, uh, the, the networking uh, aspect of it. Uh, so we have we have a problem when we run a big network of nodes that are interconnected and communicated with each other. Is when we are in the blockchain context and we want to create a new block, uh, we have to figure out which of the nodes is going to create this new block. Um, so proof of stake and proof of work are two ways of selecting which nodes, which pair is going to uh, which peer is going to to create this new block. So in the context of proof of work, uh, what you do is um, you create this uh, giant lottery and you say to uh, all the participants that they can exercise their power, their computing power on being uh, better or worse at this lottery. So the bigger computer you have, the, the, the more chances you have of being drawn as the next person to do the block. Um, and on the proof of stake uh, side, uh, we also have this lottery, but instead of uh, picking people uh, with uh, uh, expectations of being picked up as their computing power, you pick them up with uh, the amount of capital they have locked up uh, or the amount of uh, capital they have put at stake. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how I would uh, differentiate uh, the two. Uh, one is consuming a lot of... Uh, power to run uh, because it's a competition on the computing. So you have to feed electricity into that. And the other is uh, locking up uh, the, usually it's locking up the native unit of account of a specific network. So uh, we mentioned the beacon chain before. Uh, it's the proof of stake currently running on Ethereum. Um, and in order to participate to the proof of stake on Ethereum, on the beacon chain, you have to lock it to Ether, for example. Okay, that's pretty clear. So talking about proof of stake, I think uh, the way you've explained it, Jerome, is that Ethereum or the ETH becomes the main resource to run the network. What's your take on the risk of centralization? In other words, exchanges or centralized entities holding and staking the majority of coins. Um, does self-custody start becoming crucial to the security of the network? Can I answer? Can I answer? <laughs> Go on, Vlad. Um, so I actually personally think that there's a lot we can do that isn't really being considered today 
um, to fight this kind of centralization. Uh, basically, in my opinion, we have a lot of room in crypto law to make it unlawful for exchanges to stake user funds. And, and I think that we can create um, basically norms, information, you know, uh, legal like basically like a legal matrix that's associated with proof stake protocol that makes it unlawful for exchanges to engage in this activity. And and I think that that really is like where we should go. And I think that like that there's, there's kind of like um, a kind of a reticence or a miss or a kind of like an, an understanding of um, crypto that it's sort of like uh, economic free for all where like, you know, just the tech defines like the economy and then like you can kind of do whatever. But really we have this crypto law already that like strictly defines like, you know, how we have disputes about the protocol. And in my opinion, like that could be and should be adapted in proof of stake in order to, for example, ensure that, you, you know, no one is staking user currency without like locking the user up in like with the, and giving them the same risk as like a validator has. You know, the idea of turning proof of stake into a financial product is something that I'm super afraid of. And, I, and whenever people talk about, you know, interest rates, APY, like anything like that with respect to proof of stake, it gives me a lot of caution because like finance is highly regulated and actually like, um, you know, the way in which we need like staking to work for like the security of the network, you know, is actually undermined by treating it as a financial product and offering it as a financial service. And so actually I think that like we can, with associating the right information with the protocol, we can actually make it unlawful to for the exchanges to provide these services, which would basically mean that like, you know, if you as a user find out they've been staking your coins without, you know, um, your consent or like there's certain like, you know, obviously like there are, there are like limits also, um, you know, you, you can't really stop like all service providers for staking. But however, you know, we can recognize that these are essential, essential infrastructure as opposed to commercial financial products. And to make it basically to recognize that actually offering staking as a commercial financial product is basically unlawful because it undermines um, the security of the system. And so I think I think it's very possible for us to be extremely hostile to these business models. And I think we should do that. And that's like, I think, a controversial well, opinion that's like far from the norm today. Well, that, um, yeah, that's a very, very strong, strong, uh, strong point you're making here. Uh, like uh, maybe taking the, a little bit the, vo the voice of Ledger in, in this uh, in this fight, uh, not, not your keys, not your coin. Uh, so when you deposit coins on an exchange uh, and Ledger has some exchanges as, as client though, but uh, when you deposit the coin on the exchange, you are basically... Uh, giving away your your rights on the coins uh if the exchange uh has a problem like if he, if the exchange lost lost the private key and doesn't have any insurance you are or any any backup system or whatever like uh, you 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 bear the risk of risking your coin um uh whenever whenever the the proof of stake that ethereum uh developed went live uh i was completely expecting uh, exchanges uh to start offering their users, uh, hey, you want a stake? I'm going to take a cut or I'm not even going to take a cut because if you stake, uh, your funds are locked. They are locked on my keys until uh, the funds are able to move, which we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. So the the it was super tempting for, for exchanges to do that. Uh, even if from the from the, the the design perspective of the of the deposit contract of how you interact with uh, the Ethereum two network when you want to stake, 
it it seemed clear to me that uh, the foundation did a good job on preventing to the max anyone from delegating. You, you basically have to trust the person uh, doing the validation for you uh, if you want to delegate your your staking to the to 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 someone else. So I think it's um, it's it, it's a matter of coming back to uh, what we call decentralization in in this context, like uh, or what we call security in this context. Uh, you need to. Some blockchains are taking a stance on saying, "Well, uh, 21 nodes is enough for decentralization," and some of the blockchains are saying, "Like, hey, everyone should be uh, able to stake if they have." Uh, a reasonable amount of capital to to lock up and a reasonable technical knowledge uh, to run a node and a reasonable setup in terms of hardware to to run the node. Um, but that's super hard to uh, super hard to get to. That's pretty interesting. So let me try to move on to onto another interesting subject. Um, everyone has been talking about EIP fifteen fifty nine. Some say that it will transform Ethereum into a form of ultrasound money that could potentially compete with Bitcoin. What do you think about that, Vlad? And why do you think people are actually, you know, uh, advocating for this uh, ultra ultrasound money na- narrative? And wow. uh, one remark before you start, Vlad, uh, when I was mentioning the difficulty bomb, uh, when whenever someone will tell you like EIP fifteen fifty nine will never happen, uh, the, the way the way the the Ethereum upgrades are packaged is that everything comes in one go. So like postponing the difficulty bomb is also going to happen at the same time of the EIP fifteen fifty nine. So it's going to be super hard, and tell me if, I, if I'm wrong on that, Vlad, but it's going to be super hard for people to say like, hey, well, I, I don't agree with uh, 1559, but I agree with the difficulty bomb diffuse. So uh, yeah, I'm going to do to cherry pick on that. So it's very likely that if people are, are, are tired of uh, the, the, the long block time and the difficulty bomb um, effects, they, they will indeed all chime in to the EIP 1559 in any way. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely bundling changes is like encouraged by the bomb and by like just the logistics of hard forking in general. And I think, um, but but I don't think that makes it impossible to 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 kind of like reject e one five five nine. But I will say this, you know, like um, the will to reject e one five five nine seems to be kind of like only coming from miners. And so you know, there's there there it is kind of like a a political situation where like it doesn't seem but i'm not sure like but it doesn't seem like the coalition against e1559 is very strong today but you know um i, I wouldn't want to call it i would want to decide that I, I i encourage people to form coalitions and to discover each other and to see what their interests are however i will also say you know i'm a big fan of 1559 although i really 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 don't like the ultrasound money thing and so and so i'm in like this weird camp where like i feel very bad that it's being abused in this way to 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 try to make ethereum seem like a deflationary currency to try to get people to, to like buy in to manipulate people into thinking that like you know this is going to be the future of money because it's like better than bitcoin in terms of deflation i mean to me that's like a a, a gimmick and a sellout and like a, a like not really a real um honest um thing to me it's like i just hype and but I think there's really good fundamental reasons why one five five nine is great, and the, that have nothing to do with the deflation or like the burn or like the the the, the, the macroeconomics of it, but they just have to do with the microeconomics of the of, of of the fee market, and like in the microeconomics of the fee market, like this you know seems like a dramatic improvement, and 
and and and I want to stress that there's like there's like a microeconomics here that I think is like really like this like kind of is like superseding and is like the reason why like e four one five 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 is really good idea, even though like the macroeconomics, even though like it's not super clear what the macroeconomics like are going to be like people are abusing and trying to be like, you know, this is going to push the price of ETH up, you know? And, and for me, like, that's kind of, that's kind of like hype. That's kind of like FUD. It's kind of like, it's not, it's, it's, it's basically like, um, and it's also buying into this very Bitcoin like narrative, which I think is a tactical error because like Ethereum is not Bitcoin. Ethereum is very much differentiated from Bitcoin in its culture, its purpose, its ethos, its spirit. It's, you know, the fact of trying to like become like, you know, compete with toxic Bitcoin maximalism, you know, it's just like such a tactical error that I want to also flag that. So now that we spoke of the past and the present, we're going to explore the future. It's time for the ledger forecast. Jérôme, how would you define crypto economics? And in your opinion, what will the world economy look like 10 years from now with the development of all this technology? So... From from a researcher perspective, from from a professor perspective, I'm I'm, I'm from an economist background. Uh, so I, I look at crypto economics as a as a, a new field of research, a new field of designing systems, uh, systems where uh, the, the the property right uh, is uh, enforced inside the system with certainties. Be able to say, well, uh, this token, I, I let you move my token for this and for that. Uh, the, the smart contract uh, aspect of it, uh, or the design protocol aspect of it, uh, makes it super interesting, op- opening up many new ways of automating things and constructing new uh, new new places for for users to interact with each other. Um, and we are only at the beginning of the exploration of this new field um, and. As the world gets more and more interconnected, more and more uh, uh, lean in terms of interactions, um, this is going to help out a lot. I think in the, in, our, in our daily lives. Uh, now, what will the world world look at, look like in ten years? Uh, I hope I'll have a, I'll have a, a proper way to store a private key in my phone. Uh, that that would be a big plus. <laughs> That's great. So let's listen to something and maybe have your take on it. The reason why people are so interested in cryptocurrencies these days is just because they're making money off of them. Yeah. So the fundamental application right now seems to be just money. And Bitcoin seems to be willing to, uh, the protocol is in service of the currency. And here it seems almost the opposite. Is that fair to say? The currency is um, in the service of the protocol. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely say that is our philosophy. So, of course, this was Vitalik on TechCrunch in 2017. And it actually links back to the conversation that we were having earlier in between the, the, converse, the differences in between Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. Vlad, uh, how do you think Ethereum will impact economics and finance compared to Bitcoin? Well, <clears throat> um, you know, Ethereum has a much wider mandate than Bitcoin. It has like, you know, you know, it's mandated sort of to like apply blockchain and like public blockchains to kind of everything like markets, finance, and also way outside that. And so I think like Ethereum like stands to make, to have a bigger impact, basically a, because like, you know, it's what's possible for Ethereum to do conceptually is much bigger. And because, you know, Ethereum as a culture has, or as like a, um, let's say, you know, um, as like a scene has like support a lot of different subgroups and like sub communities and like people who have very different views about like what we should do and so and so like the the room for maneuver the room for us to adapt and change is a lot bigger i mean bitcoin has kind of like 
painted themselves in this corner where they can't really do much other than like try to be like a future of money in like this very like boring e-gold kind of tradition. And so Ethereum has like a, a much wider narrative and mandate and, and, and much more room to maneuver because of its like institutional definition. Um, and so like Ethereum, you know, you know, in some way like sky's the limit, but also on the other hand, you know, the worst case failure modes for Ethereum are much worse than Bitcoin. And so, and so like, you know, Ethereum like has the pos- has like, you know, a lot more potential for to, you know, like both transformative, revolutionary, but also potential to, you know, um, unleash like autonomous robot hordes that like aren't something we want to see in like the way we organize society. And so, and so I think like Ethereum is like, a much bigger Pandora's box that like it takes much more like, you know, um, to, to organize around, to organize with, to, to like keep, you know, healthy and like useful for people. And so, and so I think like Ethereum by virtue of it's like complexity and expansive mandate and, you know, like it, like, you know, you can kind of almost like project it onto Ethereum, like whatever your fantasies are for blockchain. That's pretty interesting. And so, and so I think like that means that like it has way more, future um but it, it also makes me scared you know because like the things it could it could go it could go much more badly than bitcoin can yeah but the the worst case scenario is also uh what could happen to ethereum everything falls down everything uh if your ether goes to the ground but in the end we we still have 1.2 percent of uh, the bitcoin network the, the bitcoin unit of accounts that are living on ethereum so we, we won't we won't be that bad. We have lots of rough Bitcoin living in the network. The okay, moment. but you know, I mean, uh, the worst case outcomes that I'm thinking about are like you know much worse than that. Um, yeah. and and they're more to do with like the way that like society responds, assuming that like for example, Ethereum falls out of like you know the public graces and becomes like a real public hazard or a public enemy. In which case, like sure, sure, sure. kind of national international coordination that would be required to like you know, crack down on Ethereum could be like in the end much worse than like just Ethereum, like, you know, like, like, like failing, right? Like if Ethereum leads to like a global crackdown on like civil liberties, like that's a big failure that like isn't, you know, like possible to like, you know, size up in terms of the price of ETH. So it's time to move on to our last segment of the show. This is the tip for crypto first grading. So let me throw out a softball that any of you can catch. What tips would you give to someone who's just stepping into the world of Ethereum? Uh, maybe the biggest mistake to avoid, or maybe you could tell us about one you made. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the the, 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 the most important thing that people need to do whenever they get into cryptocurrency is like understand really like asymmetric key cryptography and like the nature of private keys and like to the backups and like really be sure that they don't lose access to their keys. Like that's like the number one bad experience people have is like, just lost life-changing like life you know like fortunes like and 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 so like the number one thing you should, you can do is like keep your 12 hours safe like you know like use hardware wallets that's like the number one thing um and then and then another thing is you know um it's not private like don't think what you're doing on ethereum is private it's <laughs> extremely public like like you don't have privacy on ethereum you know like you know like okay we have tornado cash but you know as a rule of thumb there is no privacy on Ethereum. And so, and so, and so like, if you remember those two things, you know, you're going to do relatively well. Jerome, what's your take on that? Um, so I think the, the don't, don't follow the hype unless it's Ethereum. 
that that's that's one thing. Um, don't follow uh, Latin influencers. Like I, I think it it leads to 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 many to many FOMOs and 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 bad situation where people invest massively in some protocols. Like uh, I'm a big fan of Dogecoin as a as a as a meme as a as a joke. Uh, but you know, like don't forget that behind those blockchains, uh, behind behind the 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 fancy people advertising them or or making lots of noise about how great it is about how uh, McDonald's is going to use this blockchain for that uh, and, and and so on. Don't forget that behind those doors, there are uh, researchers like Vlad that dedicate their life on improving uh, uh, a certain type of, uh, of consensus algorithm. It's it's important to look at it as a technology rather than as a, a social movement that's suddenly going to, to burst into uh, millions of dollars in your wallet. Uh, but of course, stay safe with uh, with your coins. Uh, stay 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 safe with uh, with your ledger and your backups. Um, and and one thing uh, I would advise people to to avoid is to forget that uh, these pieces of those pieces of technology are, are are built by builders. That's a great way to end the gentleman. Thanks a lot, Vlad. Thanks a lot, Jerome. Great conversation. Yeah, thank you. And uh, sorry for going over, but uh, you know maybe you guys will cut it and make it all work in thirty minutes. But if not, like forty five minutes, hey, that's so bad. Yeah, great discussion. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks for joining, uh, Vlad, and uh, thanks for the invitation, Mo. That was Vlad Zamfir and Jérôme de Tichet, both precious contributors to the Ethereum world. A truly enriching conversation. I hope you were able to learn more about Ethereum and most of all, about the great promises this technology holds for the future. If you want to dive deeper, you can read Ledger Academy, World School of Block, and feel free to subscribe to this podcast, because there is more to come. This podcast was brought to you by Ledger, directed and edited by Theo Wiesman. This was on the Ledger, from Paris. Take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, tax advice or more generally any type of advice. Ledger will not be responsible for the consequences of reliance upon any opinion or statement contained in this podcast or any omission. Crypto assets are volatile, you should be fully aware of the level of risk involved before engaging in any crypto related activities and you should consult your own advisors as to those matters. References to any securities or digital assets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute an investment recommendation or offer to provide investment advisory services. Please note that any loss of data, crypto assets or profit is your sole responsibility.